We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined, as always, by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, to full press coverage. Week one of the 2022 season delivered big time as it showed why the National Football League is the greatest reality TV show in the history of mankind, bar none. Unlikely upsets, thrilling finishes, it had it all. The NFL just seemed to keep getting more and more unpredictable every single year, doesn't it, Hal? It certainly does, David, and I, like many others across this great country and internationally, was losing my mind from, say, 4 o'clock to 4.30 Eastern. Those games, those finishes, the overtimes, the missed field goals, the mismanagement, it was a smorgasbord of excitement in the NFL kicking off week one. It most certainly was. And let's recap week one, starting with our biggest lesson learned. You go first here, Hal. What was your biggest lesson learned from week one? Uh, my biggest lesson learned, David, I am learning to hate the AFC South. I don't, What was going on with the AFC South? We've got no winners and two teams played themselves head to head. Lesson learned. Don't bet on the AFC South. I am hornswoggled gobsmacked whatever word you want to use <laughs> watching that indian tennessee underachieving you know valiant efforts from houston and jacksonville but you know just not enough talent right there uh the afc south came out as uh lesson learned stay far away from that division if you can very, very good observation there, Hal. It's going to be very, very fascinating to see which one of those AFC South teams can bounce back this weekend. And my biggest lesson learned, long snappers matter. Case in point, the Cincinnati Bengals. Their uh, veteran long snapper, Clark Harris, he suffered a torn biceps injury during that thriller against the Steelers. And uh, as a result, they had to go with a backup. And his absence completely threw off the Bengals kicking operations that not even money Mac could solve. It was so, so sloppy without him led to that block PAT by Mika Fitzpatrick at the end of regulation and that super shank in overtime uh, log snappers matter folks. If you don't have uh, a good long snapper or a good replacement long snapper, it could cost you the game. So that it was my lesson learned from this week. And let me just add David as well. Um, long snappers matter, but in Kansas City, kickers don't. <laughs> Justin Reed, what a performance. Oh, I loved it. You got me thinking of that, talking about the long snappers. Replacement kicker coming in. He plays defense. He plays special teams. He can kick. He does it all. What a great pick. He was a great signing, and what a clutch performance as the emergency kickers stepping up against Arizona. That was uh, very entertaining as well. Oh, that most certainly was an amazing performance by Justin Reed, but he will not be assuming those uh, kicking duties in lieu of Harrison Bucker tomorrow night. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later on. And now on to our goat of the week. And it is an all caps goat, not a lowercase goat, if you know what I mean. Lovey Smith, you forgot the first commandment in football. You play to win the game. You don't play to tie. 
You don't play to lose, not to lose. You play to win. You had fourth down, past midfield, a talented young quarterback, and Davis Mills was playing very, very good football for you. And on fourth and three, you just decide to punt? Are you kidding me, Lovey Smith? You should have followed the example of my goat of the week, New York football giants head coach Brian Dable. The times, they are a-changing. In East Rutherford, New Jersey, for Big Blue, as Brian Dable decided to go for two instead of the game-tying extra point, and it paid off, and the Giants pulled out the upset in Music City over the Tennessee Titans. And that was like a sign of confidence in your team, no matter who your players are, and a sign that things are different around here with me running the show. We're playing to win. We are not settling for mediocrity. We are just shooting for the moon. Brian Dable, you are my GOAT of the week, hands down. Who is your GOAT of the week, Hal? David, I'm with you. I love that aggressiveness. I would even nominate Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins for this as well with his fourth and seven going for it right before halftime and swung the game with uh, that touchdown pass. But for me, um, you know, we're talking greatest. I'm talking Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. Um, You know, what a performance by the Eagles. Throw out those garbage touchdowns by Detroit at the end. They dominated on both sides of the ball. A.J. Brown pushing Jalen Hurts up into that elite quarterback level. Mm. Um, You know, 90 yards rushing, almost 250 yards passing. They did not have any problems on offense. They had that balance that they searched for so hard last year. And, you know, I had some questions about the Eagles. I don't deny it. And I had some questions about Jalen Hurts. But I really liked what I saw in week one, and I came away really, really impressed. That's a tough defense in Detroit. That's not a pushover defense anymore. And to just move up and down the field like they did throughout that game, big credit to Jalen Hurts and Coach Nick Sirianni there as the greatest of week one. Hats off to Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni as well. And now to our dunce of the week. Lovey Smith seemingly had this award in the bag until Nathaniel Hackett told him to hold his beer. With one minute and 11 seconds left, the Broncos had all three timeouts left and a third and 14 trying to get into field goal range to win the game. They gained nine yards. And instead of calling a timeout immediately thereafter at letting Russell Wilson try to gain more yards in the first down and a more manageable field goal attempt, they let the clock run down all the way to 20 seconds before using even one of those three timeouts. And they attempted a 64-yard field goal. I don't care how big Brandon McManus's leg is. Kickers before Monday night were 8 of 69 all-time and field goal attempts from 63 or more yards. Nathaniel Hackett, in the words of the comic book bike from The Simpsons, worst coaching job ever. And you get our inaugural dumps award, Nathaniel Hackett. And as a Broncos fan, I have lost complete faith in you, and you are going to have to work very hard to earn it back. <laughs> oh, I love it, David. I I was, I was tempted to do a safety check on you there Sunday night. Let me tell you. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, 
coaching like a young Andy Reid, uh, mismanaging the clock there. So hopefully his he can overcome these early hiccups just like Andy Reid did. Uh, dunce of the week. Oh, you know, I, I hate to pile on here, but the poor Atlanta Falcons just add 26 to 10 to the pantheon of blown leads by this franchise. It's some kind of incredible futility record that just goes through the years um, at home. Division rival New Orleans Saints, much, much hatred between these two fan bases. You want to talk about two fan bases that don't get along. That's New Orleans and Atlanta, let me tell you. And Atlanta, 200 yards rushing, third and one with less than a minute to play to wrap up the game. And you somehow blow this? If you fumble the snap on third and one, don't go for it on fourth and one, punt it away and watch them drive down and kick a 53-yard field goal. Dunce of the week. I'm sorry, Atlanta. You did it again. The Falcons, Falcon again, indeed. I feel so, so bad for Falcons fans in the city of Atlanta. I sure hope the Falcons win more games than expected this season to get that bad taste out of uh, their mouths from uh, last week's heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking blown lead to the New Orleans Saints. And the 2022 NFL season began last Thursday night with the Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills justifying every bit of the offseason hype they received. Not only did they absolutely demolish the defending Super Bowl champion Rams? They did so in historical fashion. According to Doug Farrar of the USA Today Touchdown Wire, never before in NFL history had a team registered at least seven sacks, three interceptions, and not have to punt in a single game until the 2022 Buffalo Bills. And we must also keep in mind that the Bills haven't putted once in two of their last three games dating back to last season's playoffs, as I'm sure you know, Hal. And moreover, it is not hyperbole to say that the Bills have a top five offense and a top five defense with Von Miller now in the fold. As uh, Von showed you last Thursday night, he's got plenty left in that tank, man. And he is going to be a wrecking ball for offenses all season long. So my question is, barring the slew of significant injuries, should anything less than a Lombardi trophy in 2022 be considered an absolute failure for the Bills? Definitely. I mean, right now, uh, they were heavy favorites coming into the season. After that performance in week one, if they're not, if Josh Allen's not hoisting that trophy at the end of the season, it has to be a disappointment for Buffalo. They have everything in line, offense, defense. And let me, let me tell you, I mean, number one, defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier I don't know how many times we're going to have to talk about him here on this podcast year after year why is he not a head coach why is the rest of the league not hiring him away from Buffalo and just letting him run ragged over the rest of the league with that defense Uh, number two Ken Dorsey who is replacing Brian Dable I had big questions you know Brian Dable huge personality you saw it. You already talked about the impact that he had in New York just in week one. And, you know, all I can think of is the, you know, one of my favorite Aerosmith songs, cover of the Yardbirds. Train kept a rolling. Train kept a rolling all night long on offense in Buffalo. It did not stop. They looked exactly like the offense did last year. I mean, oh, unbelievable performance. And I've got to mention as well, 
We talked about the culture in Buffalo. We talked about the Matt Areza situation in the preseason. Sean McDermott got his team ready to play in week one, coming out first game of the season. They were focused. They looked like a Super Bowl champion. He put that whole thing behind him and had that team ready to play. That's a credit to that culture in Buffalo that he's built there. And they weathered that storm. And they look ready. And yeah, if they're not the super, if they're not in the Super Bowl, you know, it's a huge missed opportunity for this franchise. It most certainly would be. And on the flip side, arguably no team had a worse week one than the Dallas Cowboys. Not only did their arrogant, and I mean arrogant, off-season decisions of unloading good players and replacing them with unproven ones come back to bite them big time, they also lost Dak Prescott to a thumb fracture. While the initial timetable was believed to be six to eight weeks, the Cowboys are actually not putting their franchise quarterback on IR because they strongly believe he can return in four weeks. Do you think the Cowboys are making a mistake by rushing Dak Prescott back with such an injury, especially given the inept supporting cast he now has? Um, no, no, they, they have 0% chance without Dak. So Dak is their only hope. Jerry Jones is desperately trying to get this team into the playoffs once again. Um, you know, it's Super Bowl or bust every year for Jerry Jones, and it's been bust for a long, long time. He's not taking his foot off the off the uh, gas pedal any time right now. But but look at, I mean, like you said, arrogant offseason, you know, Amari Cooper, so many good players gone, uh, injured players there, the decline of the offensive line, the, um, you know, the, the lack of drafting. I mean, you can go back through the years and, and, and look at their draft class, not just this year, you know, the, the Tristan Hills, Leighton Vander Esch, Taco Charlton, uh, Jalen Smith, you know, these high draft picks that aren't impact players. And that's affecting the Dallas Cowboys and keeping them from that elite level. And now it looks like, you know, Philadelphia is passing them anyways. If they're going to stay afloat without Dak, and they're rushing him back, it's for a wild card shot. And that's about all they've got right now, as far as I'm concerned. But if Dak is not 100% after four weeks, I don't think they should necessarily rush him back. I think they should give him a couple more weeks if possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, you and I think that, but we're talking about Jerry Jones here. Oh, know? my God. <laughs> Jerry ain't doing that. We know that. So, uh, yes, a logical person, David. We, we would not rush him back, but we're dealing with Jerry Jones here. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'd be worried he's out there three weeks with a big cast on his thumb throwing the ball, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, so it, it, they shouldn't rush him back but we know they're going to because they're Jerry Jones and the Cowboys and they're not going to do the right thing. They're not going to take the long view. They're going to go all in for a wild card spot and best case scenario, losing the wild card round yet again, uh, typical Dallas Cowboys season. That's what Jerry's got going. Yes. And uh, the Cowboys will never win another Super Bowl as long as Jerry Jones is alive. That's all there is to it, folks. And now it's time to play our favorite game on this program, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement, and Hal, your job is to determine whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating, and then explain why. And we start with the Vikings, where Justin Jefferson, who was a monster on the field last Sunday, will lead the NFL in receptions, receiving yards, 
and receiving touchdowns in 2022, a la Cooper Cup last season in an offense run by somebody named Kevin O'Connell. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to go with an exaggeration, David. There's just too many other great wide receivers in the NFL right now. Um, you know, the, the A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup again, uh, you know, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. Uh, there's just too many great wide receivers that are going to pull out a 220-yard, four-touchdown game one of these weeks and uh, consistently put up eight catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown week in and week out. So, um, you know, Jefferson, he definitely could, but I got to go with the exaggeration. There's just too much talent out there at that wide receiver position. And I think, um, you know, he's just not going to be able to do that. Not because he's not going to, you know, you know, you want to tell me Justin Jefferson's going to have 115, 120 receptions, 1600 yards and 20 touchdowns. I'd say, yeah, sure. Definitely. But one of those other guys, I could see them right there with them and edging them out in any of those categories as well. Absolutely. Particularly his uh, fellow uh, LSU Bayou Bengal, Jamar Chase. And both of those guys are going to get paid and paid big time in the next couple of seasons. And we mentioned the New York Giants earlier. They have their next three games all at home against the Panthers this weekend, the Cowboys without Dak in week three, and the Bears in week four. So truth or exaggeration, the Giants will start the season 4-0. and oh, I, I want to say truth so bad. I, I really, really do. But I got to go with an exaggeration. Uh, you know, they, they pulled together a good win in week one. But, you know, we're still talking about Daniel Jones. I, I still don't think Saquon Barkley is going to have that kind of impact game in and game out. And the defense is good but not great by any stretch so i'd love them to be four and oh i just think it's an exaggeration it's more likely a two and two start coming up for the g-men which is still very good for them i must say you know so that's still a win <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh, things are going in the right direction for big blue no matter how they uh, fare in these uh, next uh, three games and now on to the los angeles rams in part due to their offensive line issues, the Rams will not win the NFC West this season. Truth or exaggeration? Every year I tell myself, don't overreact in week one. Um, we've seen it too many times, you know, with uh, teams laying an egg in week one and then bouncing back. And, you know, by week seven, it's like, Ooh, that was really weird. What an exaggeration that turned out to be. Um, and it's in the rearview mirror and it's gone. So not going to overreact too much. They'll get the offensive line. Sometimes they just need a little more time together and they're not ready at the beginning of the season. And you see those offensive lines gel. So I'm going to go with the exaggeration. And I'm also going to say, I haven't seen anything from Trey Lance yet to see the 49ers overtaking the Rams out West either. So very good point. And let me also add that the Rams signed underrated a free agent guard, Ode Abushi today. He could solve a lot of those problems they were having on the interior of the offensive line against the Bills uh, last week and a very underrated signing by the Rams today. Agreed, David. Great point. And, you know, Sean McVay, just too smart to not get it straightened out. 
they'll be clicking on offense soon. I'm not worried about them. Uh, definitely. And they should have a bounce back game against the Falcons this weekend. And moving right along here in truth or exaggeration, the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears will be a tough out for any team this season. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, definitely a truth. Those teams are both trending in the right direction. They've got both got very good young quarterbacks. They've got a lot of young talent on both sides of the football. They're exciting. They're going to be tough. Yeah, they're going to throw out some stinkers here at some point, and you're going to see a 42-7 to 7 loss. But I think for the most part, week in and week out, they're going to be consistently tough teams and taking games down to the wire. I think both of those franchises are looking up in 2022. Definitely. And uh, they have uh, two uh, head coaches cut from the same cloth and Lovey Smith and Matt Eberflus, both uh, profess uh, hustle, no plays off, all that kind of thing. And discipline. The bears were remarkably disciplined last night. Just one penalty. Think about that one penalty with, are you be the youngest roster in the league? That's good coaching right there. You said it, David. Absolutely. Excellent job, Matt Eberflus. And uh, we conclude uh, truth or exaggeration with a stop in the desert where Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph severely damaged his status as a prospective head coaching candidate with his ludicrous game plan to constantly blitz Patrick Mahomes. And I'm sure you know that blitzing Patrick Mahomes is absolute suicide. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the truth. I mean, the NFL owners watching that game have got to be like, what were they thinking? You know, like drop an extra safety down and cover Travis Kelsey. Come on. Like, this is ridiculous. I, I saw a stat that I, I think they blitzed on more than half of the plays during that game. 36 out of 36, 36 out of 66 plays. They were blitzing Mahomes. You're just begging you're begging him to make a big play against you doing that. No, no, no. The Mahomes rules are you flood the field, you keep him in the pocket, you don't let him escape outside, and you force him into his fourth option by just tight coverage, whether you want a man in bracket, whether you want to play zone, mix it up, give him different looks. You can't go in there blitzing like that with man coverage in the back. You're just going to get killed. You most certainly are. And speaking of Patrick Mahomes, he and his Chiefs play in our game of the week as they host Justin Herbert on the Chargers this Thursday night for an AFC West showdown. And I could not be more excited for this one. Every time Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert play against each other, it always seems to go down to the wire, whether it's on the final play of regulation or in overtime. I honestly expect no different on Thursday night. And uh, let's start uh, with talking about that Chargers defense. Um, we obviously can assume that Brandon Staley is not going to want to blitz Patrick Holmes at all because he is, after all, one of the architects of the two-eye safety defense that now dominates the NFL landscape. Plus, as we saw last week against the Raiders, he has an elite duo of Joey Bosa and a rejuvenated, and I mean rejuvenated, Khalil Mack to hunt quarterbacks, thus making blitzing far, far less necessary. 
This defense has worked rather well against Patrick Mahomes these past two seasons. Yet, as the Bengals showed in the AFC Championship last season, there is another good way to confuse Mahomes by dropping eight defenders into coverage and only rushing three. Can you see the Chargers using this approach on Thursday night for at least a handful of snaps? Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, like we were talking about, those, those Mahomes rules is – You've got to take away his number one option. You've got to take away his number two option. You've got to make him check the ball down. You've got to make him be disciplined, throw those short three, four-yard passes, put together a 13, 14-play drive, and be patient. And, you know, let him get impatient, for, impatient, force a pass into double coverage, and that's when you force those turnovers, get a big play off of him. Uh, that's the only way you're going to beat him you've got to basically you know pull out your old uh Peyton Manning defenses there and say same situation man you know it's a mobile Peyton Manning you're going up against he's diagnosing your defense before the snap you've got to show him different looks and you just want to tee off and blitz them all day you're just going to lose all day so yeah you've got to get him uh in a situation where he's not comfortable with his first or second read and that's how you're going to get to Mahomes and force him into those mistakes and keep them out of the end zone. That's your only chance on defense. Definitely. Yet, uh, for the record, Doug Farrar has a column coming out today that I am going to read after we're done here. And he told me on Twitter today that he doesn't anticipate the Chargers using the same approach the Bengals use uh, because he thinks the Chiefs had some wrinkles against the Cardinals that discourages that kind of defense. But that said, they still got Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa coming off the edge. You don't have to blitz with those two guys coming off the edge. They can handle the job themselves against two suspect tackles and pass protection. And uh, that's all there is to it. And a few weeks ago, Patrick Mahomes told reporters that fantasy owners couldn't depend on Chiefs wide receivers this season because each week, somebody different would be the main guy. Which one of those wideouts do you think will be his best friend against the Chargers defense that actually might be getting J.C. Jackson back this week and look pretty damn good against a lethal Raiders passing attack? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be like, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, Mahomes looking for that third, fourth uh, read here so you know whether it's Valdez Scantling whether it's a Sky Moore kind of week I I don't know but uh you know I I think for sure you're going to look at uh, the Chargers taking away trying to take away Travis Kelsey as best they can and you know they're probably going to be able to get a body in on uh, Juju Smith-Schuster there so yeah, I think it's Valdez Scantling or Sky Moore and those third or fourth reads. That's who's going to have to, you know, convert those first downs, move those chains for the Chiefs. Uh, somebody there at the, not who you actually would be thinking is that big player here for the Chiefs offense. Yes, and I want to throw another wild card into that mix. Rookie running back Isaiah Pacheco. He had an excellent game in week one. Granted, it was when the game was out of reach, but the Chiefs, you just got to get this guy more involved in the offense. You just have to. He is just too freaking talented, man. He could be an underrated option out of the backfield uh, if uh, the Chargers are dropping a lot of people in the coverage as we expect. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Patrick Mahomes, not shy about dumping it off to the running back. And, you know, in a lot of situations, how many times have we seen it with all these different running backs over the years with Patrick Mahomes, where, 
you know, when he needs to convert that first down and they drop seven, eight into coverage and running back comes out of that backfield and nobody's picking them up. And all of a sudden that's a big 25, 30 yard gain. So great point there, you know, using Edwards Hilaire or Pacheco coming out of that backfield could be another big weapon uh, for Patrick Mahomes this week. Yes, and uh, Chris Sims uh, brought up a good point uh, yesterday. He tweeted that the Chiefs offense minus Tyreek Hill could benefit in this way. They had become a little predictable in that wherever Tyreek Hill was lined up or motioning became a bit of a tell at times. And now with a wider variety of weapons, defenses aren't going to know where the hell they're going with the ball. So uh, my question is, does the unpredictability of who Patrick Mahomes will be targeting each week, if not each snap, somehow make this Chiefs offense equally as dangerous as the Tyree Kill years? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, example A, just look at Tom Brady and some of these dog receivers he's had over his 20-year career where teams look at him and say, hey, look at, you know, who are these guys he's throwing the ball to? They wouldn't even make our squad. And yet they're out there, you know, these cast-offs, these Wes Welkers that the Dolphins couldn't wait to get rid of. And, you know, uh, 1500 yards receiving with Tom Brady and like Tom Brady always said you know the ball goes to whoever's open and if Patrick Mahomes is taking that uh, you know as his mantra here in 2022 and I'm going to throw it to whoever I see that gets open you know yeah I mean definitely that can definitely uh, you know add that new wrinkle to that offense where you know you kind of become unstoppable because you can't double cover everybody there on that offense and so if he's you know, winning those games, using his head before he's even using that amazing arm. Like, look out, <laughs> get scary right there. Oh, absolutely. And now let's talk about the matchups that are going to potentially decide this uh, potentially pivotal AFC West showdown. And we start in the trenches with Chris Jones, who is finally consistently at home in that defensive tackle spot in the Steve Spagnolo defense. He was absolutely on fire last Sunday, by the way, going against a very talented Chargers interior offensive line with Corey Lindsley and the rookie Zion Johnson at all, uh, at all being Matt Filer. But uh, the Chargers interior offensive line, as great as they were in pass pro last week, they had a very difficult time with Bilal Nichols in uh, running the football. And uh, I assume they're going to have a lot of problems with Chris Jones, especially if they want to run the football. So if uh, the Chargers uh, can't get their uh, running game going, uh, Justin Herbert might have to uh, do it himself. But uh, I think the Chargers hope that Justin Herbert is going to have that help in the running game. So uh, the Chargers interior offensive line is going to have to have a much better week this week. Yeah, that, that's a great point because we've seen it so many times where, you know, uh, Chris Jones is blowing up that interior offensive line. And like you said, this is, you know, this is the heavyweight championship down there. You've got a really strong unit there in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. They're great on the inside. They've got those veterans. They got that young athletic kid. It's, a, it's a, going to be a great matchup inside there. And, you know, really, yeah, I mean, the other thing as well, we talk about, you know, Rashawn Slater over there at left tackle, but now it's the uh, the right side that anybody looking to get pressure on Justin Herbert is going to come right on his face through that right side and, uh, you know, trying to uh, get through uh, putting a lot of pressure there on Trey Pipkins there, who's going to have that pass rush coming right at him, trying to get right in the face of Justin Herbert. 
Oh, you said it right there. That was the next matchup I wanted to get to. But let's talk about Justin Herbert for a second. Shame on us. Shame on us. <laughs> We're not talking about Justin Herbert because this guy, it's hard not to say that he's equally as talented as Patrick Mahomes in many ways. This guy is a human cyborg, a literal human cyborg. Uh, he has the freakish athleticism, freakish arm talent, and freakish football knowledge and mental processing. Oh my God. It's like combining Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers into one body for crying out loud. That's how special Justin Herbert is. And just like with Patrick Mahomes, blitzing Justin Herbert is absolute suicide. He will rip you apart if you blitz him. That is all there is to it. And Trey Pipkins is easily the weakest link on that Chargers offensive line. And I think he's going to see a lot of furious George Karlaftis, baby, coming off that edge. George Karlaftis registered five total pressures in his debut against the Cardinals last week. And I think uh, uh, Steve Spagnuolo is definitely going to want to turn him and Frank Clark loose uh, their fair share of times against Trey Pipkins. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they're going to be lining up and, and salivating to get after him and you know, that could be one of the, just that single matchup that, you know, one big play, you know, get to Herbert once, force that tipped pass, interception, fumble, recovery, return for six. One of those plays can be all it takes to swing a game, to swing that game with so two talented offenses, two teams talented on both sides of the ball like this, especially on a short week as well this week. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a fun matchup there. Oh, it most certainly is. And let's uh, switch sides of the line of scrimmage and talk about the weak link on the Chiefs offensive line, which is their right tackle, Andrew Wiley. He's going to see a lot of Khalil Mack. And Khalil Mack made Derek Carr's life absolutely miserable last Sunday. And uh, if uh, the Chargers are going to win this game, he is going to have to make a pretty big impact again. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, that, that's where you're going to get that pressure as well here against the, the Chiefs. Uh, you know, talking about those interior offensive lines, uh, you know, I mean, the Chiefs with the second year uh, studs, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith on the inside. They've got the veteran Joe Tooney there as well. I mean, that's the interior offensive line in football right yep, there. Exactly. You know, as good as the Chargers are, Chiefs are just a step better there on the inside. So it's going to be that outside, you know, pass rush. And, you know, the Chargers have two elite outside pass rushers. Andrew Wiley, as you said, is probably the weakest link. Orlando Brown can get sloppy uh, with his footwork on the edge and pass protection sometimes and create some problems. Now, Patrick Mahomes, with that ability to get outside of the pocket, has, you know, cleans up a lot of that and covers up some of that. But if these pass rushers can get to the quarterback, contain on the outside, keep him in the pocket. Don't let him extend those plays. That's how you got to stop Patrick Mahomes. That's your only way you're going to do that is get that pass rush there um, and not let him escape and extend those plays because that's when he really hurts you with those big plays down the field. And not blitz either. Don't yes, forget that. Exactly. At you, Vance Joseph. And uh, for the Chargers, Keenan Allen will not be playing in this game due to a hamstring injury, but neither will Chiefs stud, and I mean stud, rookie cornerback Trent McDuffie, who looked absolutely phenomenal on Sunday. He won't play due to a hamstring issue either. So I'm looking at Mike Williams, 
Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, who is the, the lid lifter in the uh, Chargers receiving core, and uh, DeAndre Carter as well, who caught a touchdown last week, going up against those Chiefs corners. And McDuffie will likely be uh, replaced by Jalen Watson, who is a seventh-round rookie out of Washington State. So there is a potential mismatch there for Justin Herbert to exploit with Trent McDuffie uh, not on the field uh, tonight. Yeah, and I mean, again, uh, Mike Williams, uh, I, I felt the Mike Williams pain as his fantasy football owner last week as I watched him do absolutely nothing the entire <laughs> game. Thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, uh, he should be bouncing back big time this week. You know, really impressed with Joshua Palmer. Uh, as well, second-year receiver. So he's going to have to take on a bigger role here with Keenan Allen out as well. But uh, you, you said it there, the, the injuries in that secondary, losing that, you know, oh, you know, talented young cornerback for the Chiefs just has to hurt. You know, I, I know they're high on Jalen Watson as a seventh-round pick, but even so, um, you know, it's it's a big step down from McDuffie to Watson right there. And, and that's going to be, uh, you know, putting a little pressure on my favorite kicker, Justin Reed, there at the back of that Kansas City defense. So, Speaking of kickers, Harrison Butker is not going to play in this game either due to that ankle injury he suffered against the Cardinals. But Justin Reed is not going to be replacing him. Matt Amendola, who kicked uh, for the Jets for a small time last year is going to step in for Harrison Butker. And how does this affect the chiefs game plan? I think it affects it a lot more than one would think. Yeah. I mean, Butker's just been Mr. Automatic the last few years there. I mean, it's easy with all that talent in Kansas city to, to forget about, you know, those close games that they've had that have come down to the wire and, Butker's been sitting there, you know, yeah, 48 yards, 52, whatever, straight through the uprights, you know, you, the forgotten man there on that offense. And uh, yeah, I mean, not having that kicker, you know, um, puts a lot of pressure on young Mr. Amendola there to, uh, you know, convert and uh, keep them, you know, stay in the range, couple of missed field goals. Like we said, it's not going to take a lot in this game with these two teams. Um, you know, you don't want to say it in week two, but you know, Hey, this is for the division here. You know, this yeah. head, head could be a big tiebreaker at the end of the year. So it's a very important game on, on both sides. Oh, it most certainly is. And I think uh, not having a uh, Harrison Butker impacts the chief's thoughts this way. Say they're going for a game winning or a game uh, tying a field goal drive instead of uh, getting it to like uh, 48 yards out or 45 yards out, they might want to move inside of 35 yards just to be safe for Amendola. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, with untested kicker like that, you've, you know, you can't be sitting there and saying, all right, yeah, take a knee on these next two, Patrick, and we'll kick the 50 yard field goal. You know, <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yep. Andy Reid ain't pulling in Nathaniel Hackett. That is That's for darn sure. And who do you think wins this uh, AFC West showdown tonight at Arrowhead? You know, I mean, two evenly matched teams. I think it's going to come down to, to one big play, maybe. Um, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth on it three or four times myself. But uh, I'm going to say I, I think that pass rush for the Chargers, those those twin titans on the outside getting that pass rush that's the weakness 
for Kansas City, those two tackles. One of them, you're going to see one of those guys, whether it's Mac, whether it's Bosa, they're going to make that one big play, the strip sack, the tip pass, interception, whatever it is, just enough for the Chargers to take it 31 to 28 over the Chiefs. The simpatico alert has sounded. Now and I are in agreement. We both like the Chargers in this game. With uh, this Chargers defense at full strength and the Chiefs missing uh, Trent McDuffie, that's going to be a major difference in this game. And that's why I like the Chargers as well. That was uh, my tiebreaker. And this is a very tough game to predict. And it's going to go down to the wire just as Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert always do. And now let's pick the rest of these Week 2 games, starting with the New York Jets traveling to Cleveland to take on Brownie the Elf and the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thrilled with a Joe yeah. Flacco and Jacoby Brissett matchup, but uh, that Jets offensive line, they're just going to get mauled by Miles Garrett all game long. Miles Garrett's going to be on Joe Flacco's back, force a couple turnovers. Uh, the Jets are going to be unable to move the ball. The Browns might have their struggles too, but uh, uh, Jacoby Brissett will do just enough to eke out, let's say, a 20 to 10 win over the Jets. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a close one. You know, I think the Jets are going to play play a lot of teams tough this year. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they're they taking on that persona, their head coach. They're not backing down. You can see that Robert Salas swagger coming in on them. But they still got to get the results on the field. And I don't think it's going to happen this week. Um, close game, but Chubb, Hunt, sorry. I mean, that, that's going to be enough for Cleveland, I think. 20 to 17 over the Jets. Yes, there is just a strong case for the Jets to cover as there is for the Browns to cover uh, the spread. And for the first time in like 24 games, the Detroit Lions are favored by Vegas as they host the Washington Commanders at home. Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, you could talk about that uh, nice touchdown pass he threw to uh, Jahan Dotson to win the game. But he looked downright terrible a couple drives before then. Uh, Trayvon Walker with that beautiful interception and uh, him uh, just throwing another lame interception directly to the secondary defender. It was just awful to see. The roller coaster that is Carson Wentz is just mind-boggling. The way the Lions hung in there with a very talented Eagles team and fought back and punched back as hard as they possibly could last week was able to watch. I think they get a W this week at home against the Commanders. I just do not want to uh, bet against Dan Campbell. Yeah, you know, oh, on one hand, I look at the Lions and I go, you know, 35 points on offense in week one. That Philadelphia defense is no, no joke at all. And then I look and I go, oh, but that defense, oh, you know, I mean, yeah, they got a couple of garbage touchdowns at the end of the game to make it look close. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bet against Dan Campbell, but I don't think they have quite enough in Detroit. Uh, I'm going to go with my, my brain over my heart on this one. And I'm going to say uh, the commandos take this one in an ugly 22 to 19 game. And outside of the Chargers and Chiefs, this is probably the next biggest game of the week as Tom Brady and the Bucks traveled to the team that has given him fits since he moved down to Florida, Dennis Allen's New Orleans Saints. The Saints barely escaped Atlanta with a win, and it required the Falcons to Falcon. 
And the Bucks showed me last Sunday night that they got a running game now. They got a physical element to that offense to just pound the rock and match uh, iron for iron. This is how you beat a Dennis Allen defense, Tampa. And I think they're going to do it because they now have that running game. I like the Bucks, 20 to 17. Yeah, I mean, Tampa looked a little out of sync in that passing game. And I think, you know, the Dennis Allen, that defense is going to bounce back this week for New Orleans. Uh, I think they're a lot better than they looked last week. Um, you know, giving up 200 yards rushing. I don't see that happening again this week. And, and like we said, I, I just, you know, I don't like picking Tampa against New Orleans, especially with New Orleans at home. So I'm not quite sure how they're going to get there, but they're going to do it somehow. 24, 21 over the box. Yep. Nothing would surprise me in this game. It was a literal back and forth for me, but I just have faith in this, uh, a uh, new uh, look uh, Bucks offense with the running game more uh, at the center of it. And the Carolina Panthers, after a gut-wrenching loss to the Browns, traveled to East Rutherford to take on Brian Dayball's Giants. This is going to be another close game, but I trust Brian Dayball more than I do Matt Rule. It's going to be close, relatively low scoring, but I think Brian Dable and his guys eke it out in the end over the Panthers, let's say 17 to 16. No, you know, again, you know, I, I want to get on that Giants train. I really, really do. I just think Carolina's got a little bit more that uh, they're going to find a way to pull that out. It'll be a big Christian McCaffrey kind of game. Um, I got to go with Carolina bouncing back here. Uh, in, in week two after that tough loss to the Browns. I'm going to give it to Carolina in a 29-23 to 23 win over the Giants. Your New England Patriots, after a rough day in South Florida, traveled to Pittsburgh at Akersher Stadium to take on the Steelers. Uh, we miss you, Heinz Field. Uh, Akersher, uh, you're never going to eclipse Heinz in my eyes. That's all there is to it. And... Uh, this is a tough one. The Patriots may be two point favorites, but it may be unfounded given the fact that the Patriots struggled just as much on offense last week as the Steelers did. It, if not more so than the Steelers right. did, I think the Steelers looked even better despite their offensive struggles uh, than the Patriots did. I was going to go with your Patriots until I saw this stat. Mike Tomlin as an underdog is 46, 23 and three, against the spread like this was a little toss-up for me i was leaning towards your patriots because tj watt's not gonna be playing in this game but that stat made me switch over to steelers at the last minute i'm gonna take the steelers and play the numbers you know we already had one tie why not two you know (laughs) i'm not impressed with either of these teams i can see both of them gutting it out punting the ball back and forth three times each in overtime, like no problem with a tie in this game. Uh, I think that's the way I'm going to end this one. I don't think either one is uh, ready to win at this point of the season. You know, I think November, December, these kind of, these two coaches will probably have their teams looking a whole heck of a lot better, but right now it's rough going on both sides. Let's call it a 17 to 17 tie. Ooh, I like your outside-the-box thinking there, my friend. 
And now to an AFC South matchup, it's hard to trust the AFC South based on what we saw last week as the Colts traveled to Duval to take on the Jaguars. I was going back and forth on this one too. But as we've spoken so many times on this program, um, that Frank Reich is better than Doug Peterson. Frank Reich was the brains behind that Eagles offense that won the Super Bowl in 2017, not Doug Peterson. And, and that coaching advantage that the Colts have was just enough for me to pick the Colts in this game. I like the Colts to win 20 to 17, but the Jaguars, an easy bet to cover that four and a half point spread. Oh yeah. I've got the Jaguars in this one. I'm just going to drop the score because I'm going to save the rest of it for my bold prediction, but I'm just going to say Jacksonville 38, Indianapolis 17. Ooh, can't wait to hear your bold prediction there, man. And this was perhaps the hardest call of all. The Miami Dolphins traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. And last season, the Dolphins uh, issued the game plan to slow down Lamar Jackson, and it worked to perfection. Uh, And he is the opposite of Patrick Mahomes. If you want to beat Lamar Jackson, blitz the bejesus out of him. The Dolphins have the horses to do that. Uh, The defensive line with Jalen Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, Melvin Ingram is that third rusher, bringing Javon Holland and Brandon Jones from the safety spots to blitz. My goodness, they got their options, but the Dolphins are dealing with offensive line woes as a uh, Teron Armstead is probably not going to play this week. And um, the Ravens, it looks like they might get Ronnie Stanley back. That enough makes me want to go with the Ravens because they're at home. But if this were in Miami, I would probably pick the Dolphins. That's a hard this game was to pick for me and it's going to be very low scoring too. Oh yeah. I, I I'm with you on that low scoring, uh, tough game, slog it out. I mean, Oh, I just worry about the Ravens, you know, I mean, they're still dealing with injuries from last year, you, you know, trying to get the, you know, Ronnie Stanley back, Marcus Peters back, uh, JK Dobbins, you know, and then to have lost, you know, Jawan James last week, Kyle Fuller as well, uh, big pieces on both sides of the ball. I think it's just going to be too much for them to overcome. And, and like you said, that Dolphins defense, um, you know, if anybody's going to be blitzing, you know, and live and die by that blitz, it's that Dolphins defense. So I've got the Dolphins going on the road and winning 19 to 16 over the Ravens. Oh, that is a very fair pick. Like I said, this was one of the tougher games uh, to call. And now on to the uh, afternoon games as the Rams look to get back on track against the Falcons. This is my lock of the week. Rams, they should have no problem bouncing back against the Falcons team that absolutely falconed again last week against the Saints. Rams are an even better team. And plus they have the extra few days of rest. That's going to give them an advantage. I like the Rams uh, 34 to 17. Yeah, I, I feel that, David. I, I you know, uh, let's sound the simpatico alert. I'm right there. I've got it 30 to 13. Big bounce back for the Rams this week. Yes. And from my lock to my upset special, like I said, I have lost complete trust in Nathaniel Hackett. And he is going to have to work extra hard for me to earn that trust back. 
I don't trust him to beat the Texans at all. I was 99.9% sure the Texans were going to win the game today. And now given the fact that Justin Simmons, the Broncos best defender is going to miss at least these next four games due to a quad injury. I'm 100% sure about this. I am so confident. I am. I am so willing to bet some money on this Texans over Broncos. is my upset special. Do I hear a simpatico alert? How? You do not. I've oh. got faith in the Broncos. I've got faith in Russell Wilson bouncing back this week. I think we're going to see a little bit more offense on Denver. And, uh, you know, I don't think that defense is going to get uh, look as bad as they did in that first half against Geno Smith. My Without goodness. Justin Simmons? Oh. They're going to look bad. No, Davis Mills is going to rip them apart. <laughs> Bouncing back. You can't overreact on week one, Dave. Rule number one in the NFL. Can't overreact. I'm not overreacting. I'm going to take it. I'm going to say Broncos have got it 21-24 over Houston. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, Texans are at least going to cover the spread, so we agree there. And the Arizona Cardinals traveling to Vegas to take on the Raiders. As we saw last week, there is a clear gulf in the AFC West between the Chiefs and Chargers and Broncos and Raiders. And a big reason why is the Raiders, their offensive line sucks. It just does. They couldn't stop a nosebleed on that Chargers defensive line. But fortunately for them, the Cardinals have no pass rush. They have no pass rush. Uh, like uh, Marcus Golden and an aging J.J. Watt, who else do they have? They don't scare you. The Raiders should have an easy time winning this game. The Cardinals are going to be unable to get to Derek Carr, and their poor secondary is going to be ripped apart by Derek Carr and those elite weapons. Raiders romp 38-14. to 14. Well, I definitely have it high scoring, but I think the Arizona offense is going to bounce back a little bit. Uh, you know, not sold on that Raiders defense as well. Uh, you know, I, Kyla Murray's is got to have a little bit more of a bounce back here. I think you're going to see some big plays, uh, some big Hollywood Brown plays as well. I just see it happening a lot closer. Still going to take the Raiders though, 34-31 in a close, entertaining, high-scoring game. We shall see. I have a feeling that Chandler Jones and Max Crosby are going to make life a living hell for Kyler Murray, who looked absolutely horrible last week, and I mean horrible against the chiefs his uh decision making is just just remains uh, atrocious that's all there is to it and the seahawks after that hard-fought win over the broncos in the russell wilson pete carroll bowl traveling to santa Clara to take on the 49ers i think the seahawks are going to be a tough out for every team they face this year too pete just knows how to get the utmost out of his players and geno smith he may not be a great quarterback but he ain't no slouch either he's an efficient quarterback that can help win you some games and the Seahawks may keep this close, but the 49ers shot themselves in the foot last week against the bears. They're not going to make the same mistake again. I like the 49ers. Yeah. I mean, the 49ers really should win this game. And I think, you know, uh, you know, one thing Kyle Shanahan does is he will clean up those mistakes from the week prior. He's got a history of doing that and, and turning that offense around. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't come off my Trey Lance soapbox yet. I'm waiting for him to show me something. Yes, the weather conditions were terrible. It was week one. Um, you know, he did more damage with his feet than he did with his arm without any doubt. But, uh, you know, got to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. 
you know, for Debo Samuel to finish the game with 14 yards receiving, that's just unacceptable. And, you know, if he, if Trey Lance isn't able to get the ball to Debo, it's going to be a long year um, for in San Francisco here with their Super Bowl hopes. Uh, you know, I might, I, 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 all right, I'm not going to overreact to week one here. All right. I think the Seahawks, I agree, they're going to keep it close, but I'm going to give San Francisco the game in a close one, 22 to 20 over Seattle. Yeah, I could see this as a close game as well. And the Bengals looking to bounce back from that gut-wrenching loss to the Steelers on opening day, traveled to Arlington, Texas to take on the Dak Prescott-less Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Bengals all the way in this game. Cowboys, uh, they had a subpar supporting cast around Dak. And can Cooper Rush really uh, challenge Joe Burrow? I don't think so. That Cowboys, the defensive front, is going to get some pressure on Joe, Joe Burrow, no doubt. But uh, Burrow is going to remain unfazed, and he's going to have a much better game than he did last week. I do not see him turning the ball over five times again. I like the Bengals in an easy uh, 27 to 13 win in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, no Dak, no chance. Let's face it, they have Dallas. I mean, this is a Super Bowl team that you're going up against. And, you know, like we've said, that uh, that post-Super Bowl hangover, especially for the losing team, is a real thing. Uh, and I think Cincinnati, they're going to come back with a little bit more focus, a little less sloppy, and uh, they should take it pretty easily, 24-16 to 16 over the Cowboys. And Sunday night, uh, we have the oldest rivalry in professional football as the Chicago Bears travel to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. And the weather calls for a 60% chance of showers and thunderstorms for the second week in a row. The Bears could be playing in the slop again and use it to their advantage. Do you think the Bears are going to make this tougher on the Packers than many think? Oh, I think so. You know, uh, like, like we talked about, I mean, they're, uh, they're tough out this year. They weren't as bad as their record was. They have some talent there in Chicago. They're starting to put, uh, you know, some things together, you know, and the weather playing into their hands can certainly be a huge advantage for them as well. Um, you know, Hey, I, I just love watching Justin Fields play anyways. He's just so exciting. Uh, whether, you know, anytime the ball's in his hand, I just love it. I'm really excited to see the Bears this year. At the same time, though, oh, you know, again, how many times have we seen the Packers lay an egg in week one and then just come back and then just destroy everybody in their path? So <laughs> I, I can't overreact. I got to go. Um, it's a primetime game. Aaron Rodgers is going to bounce back. I think the Bears will play them tough. Uh, the first, you know, we might be tied at halftime, but uh, I see Green Bay taking it uh, 30 to 17 over the Bears. I'm going a bit lower scoring than that. Let's say 24 to 30, but I have the Packers winning as well. But the Bears are going to keep it close for quite a while. I agree. And we've got a Monday night doubleheader, so to speak. And it starts at Buffalo where Josh Allen and the Bills host the Tennessee Titans coming off a God-awful loss to the Giants uh, in uh, week one. And we talked about how skeptical we were about the Titans this season last week. And 
uh, they just warranted that skepticism last week. And I think they're going to keep it close for about three quarters until Josh Allen and the Bills pull away. I like the Bills 27 to 17 over the Titans. Yeah, you know, this is one of those games with the Titans where, you know, you, you look at it and you say they shouldn't have any chance. And yet year after year, these Titans teams, you know, find a way to keep it close and pull it out, a big Derrick Henry play at the end of the game. Um, you know, I just, I look at it and I'm analyzing the game and I'm saying Buffalo, easy going away and then i go yeah but the mike vrabel and those titans they love winning these ugly games like this they they make it into a rock fight you know they they give derrick henry 30 carries in the game or something and you know uh, it just turns into an ugly mess uh, i think it's going to be a whole heck of a lot closer than people think um but I still have to pick Buffalo in this game. Uh, I'll say, you know what, Tennessee, take them to overtime, no problem. But the Bills are going to pull it out, 27-24 OT on Monday night. Uh, yeah, I can't underestimate Mike Vrabel either. His teams always play tough, and I would fully expect him to play tough against the Bills this week. And the other part of the Monday night football doubleheader, the Vikings and Justin Jefferson traveling to Philly to take on the team that passed over Justin Jefferson, the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a harder game to pick than most think because Kevin O'Connell, it looks like that he has set a new tone in Minnesota and they're fully bought in. And uh, that defense just played oh so well last week against uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And uh, I wanted to pick the Eagles, but I'm going to go with my heart because my heart thinks that Justin Jefferson is going to want the Eagles to pay for passing him up in the draft, and he's going to do it big time. Uh, Vikings come out on top 23-20 to 20 over the Eagles. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one. I mean, both of these teams talented on both sides of the ball, both of them with explosive offenses here. Um, you know, I, I really want to see Philadelphia. I think the next step on their offense is they've, got to get uh, Devonta Smith involved, their first round pick from the other year. Uh, no receptions on four targets in week one. I think we'll see that change here this week. You know, I really think Minnesota is going to put up some points on the Eagles as much as I think that defense is better than they looked last week against Detroit, but I'm still riding the Eagles train. I'm going to take the Eagles in a high scoring game. 33 to 30 over Minnesota uh, on one of those games. You just got to stay up late and can't turn it off because it's so entertaining. So Eagles 33 Vikings 30. And now it's time for our bold predictions for week two. Hal, you go first here. I teased it up here uh, with that Jacksonville over Indy 38 to 17. There's only one way that's going to happen. And that is finally, Trevor Lawrence makes that huge breakout superstar quarterback performance we've been waiting for. My bold prediction, Trevor Lawrence, four passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, 375 yards in the air, 25 yards on the ground, 400 yards total, five touchdowns. And I'll even give those um, 
touchdowns. You look at the Colts and you say they've got good cornerbacks. Yeah, but where are they going to hurt them with the two touchdowns each? Travis Etienne out of the backfield and Evan Ingram at tight end, both grabbing a pair of touchdowns for the Jags. That is as bold as I can get for you, David. Let's try this, Sal. The Texans are going to beat my Denver Broncos 31 to 20. And the difference in the game is going to be very similar to the game against Seattle last week. The Broncos are going to drive the ball inside the five-yard line twice in the second half. And both drives end up in pick sixes. And not just pick sixes by anybody, one by Derek Stingley Jr., the third overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, and the other by the Texans' second-round defensive back, Jalen Petrie. That is my bold prediction. Two pick sixes for the Texans from 95-plus yards, both by their rookies. And now it's time for our challenge flags. I'm going to go first, and my challenge is to Rams head coach Sean McVay. Sean McVay, for the love of God, get more unpredictable on first down, man. You, like, run all the time on first down. It's too predictable. It's detrimental to your offense. And last week, uh, you had 12 first down plays, not including that uh, two-minute drill at the end of the first half, before falling behind 24 to 10 in the fourth quarter. You ran eight times out of 12, but that caused your offense that was overmatched against the Bills defensive line to fall behind schedule. I don't care how easier of an opponent the Falcons are up front. Just do not risk falling behind schedule. Diversify your play calling on first down. Pass more on first down and run equally or less, Sean McVay. Just get more unpredictable on first down. That is my challenge flag for the week. I like it, David. I do. My challenge fire going to Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. Your Baker Bowl distraction is out of the way. Now you've got to pile up those winnable games while you can without Deshaun Watson, assuming that you're going to get him back at some point during this season. You've got to pick up every W that's available to you. And you started out the right way with that when you've got Jacoby Brissett at at quarterback, you've got to run Chubb and Hunt 30-plus times combined. They got up to 33, 22 by Chubb, 11 by Hunt. That's perfect. Keep riding those two. That's the formula, and that defense is way too good to have given up 17 points in the fourth quarter like they did last week as well. Tighten that up. Grab this W against the Jets here this week, and you know, Pittsburgh and Atlanta coming. You got to win one out of those two as well. Um, and maybe, just maybe, with all that talent in Cleveland, they can find a way to hang close. So that's my challenge flag. Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, get those W's now while you can. He is Hal Bent, ladies gentlemen, of full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back again next week to recap week two, preview week three, and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at DCROM59 and on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and whatever you do, choose love 
choose kindness, choose compassion, choose selflessness, choose empathy, and please continue to keep the people of Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, Highland Park, Illinois, and of course, the brave, inspiring people of Ukraine in your thoughts, prayers, and whatever actions possible. Until next time, cats, kittens, stay cool.